This week, Kevin Eckhart, Deputy Managing Editor at Reorg, returns to the pod to talk us through the debtor-creditor dynamics that drive the Diamond Sports Group Chapter 11 cases, highlighting the increasingly contentious relationship between Major League Baseball and the debtors, and how a dispute over the payment of administrative claims could shape the final outcome of the Chapter 11 cases. Hello and welcome to the Reorg Primary Review, where we cover the latest developments in high-yield distressed debt and bankruptcy and feature discussions and issues affecting distressed debt, leveraged finance, direct lending, high-yield bonds, high-yield municipals, covenants, private credit, and middle market companies. I'm David Zupkis. In our weekly review coverage, Diebold, Securus Technology, Shutterfly, and NGPL Holdings I Potential Restructurings, AMC Sinclair, Fender Musical Instruments, and GoTo Group Report Earnings, Lanet Files Chapter 11, and the latest developments in the regional banking crisis. And as always, a preview of what's coming next week. It's Monday, May 8th. Last week, the Diamond Sports Group debtors sued the Phoenix Suns, accusing them of violating the automatic stay by entering to replace a media rights agreement with new broadcast partners, Great Television and Kissway Mobile, before the expiration of the Suns' deal with debtor regional sports network Diamond Sports in Arizona, which was set to expire after the 2022-2023 NBA season. Kevin, I thought this recent development was a perfect opportunity to have you back on the pod to get us up to speed on what's happening in this case and help listeners understand, despite the Suns' involvement in this dispute, that the gorilla in the room isn't the Suns or NBA teams moving on from its deals with DSG. It's really Major League Baseball. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating. Um, you know, what what a lot of people have shown interest in this case, and it's it's probably because it involves Major League Baseball and the NBA and and sports are interesting and it's a little bit of Hollywood for us to our bankruptcy types who are used to doing, you know, more retailers and, uh, and falling apart cinema chains and turbocharger manufacturers. This is a little bit of, uh, of spice. So, you know, it's similar to, you know, whenever some entertainment industry business goes under, um, but it's not the baseball and the basketball angle that really interests me because while the other kids were out playing sports, um, when I was growing up in the eighties, I was thinking about the, the, the leverage of unsecured creditors and chapter 11 cases. Yeah. And this case right. really takes me back to the glory days. I mean, the, the Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio golden era of bankruptcy as a place where unsecured creditors had real leverage and had real influence in a case. And, and diamond is the perfect example of that. Um, we have seen over the last several years that, and we've, ta- I think we've talked about this, that secured, unsecured creditors and, e- and even administrative priority creditors have had their position in bankruptcy cases essentially taken away um, because many companies that file are over levered um, because bankruptcy judges have been willing to um, trample <laughs> the rights of even administrative creditors. Best example is in the retailers when the landlords always get run over uh, in Sears, where the the vendors who delivered goods post petition didn't get paid for four years, um, even though a plan had been confirmed. It, and then with the sort of the erosion of the UCC as a major constituent in these cases, and being reduced to kind of you know fighting for fees and fighting for some cash pool from some avoidance actions or commercial or DNO actions, you know, the, the unsecured creditor has been pretty battered over the last twenty years. Um, and DSG is the exact opposite. Uh, so, so what's going on to go back? In t- this whole thing came out of a terrible, terrible idea. Um, a lot of bankruptcy cases do, but a lot of them start with a good idea and that just gets run into the ground. In 2019, Disney acquired ESPN's, uh, or, or, or I think it was Fox Sports's um, regional sports networks so as part of a, a large deal um, a large corporate acquisition. And as part of the acquisition to pass antitrust scrutiny, these RSNs were divested by the combined Disney company. Um, I, I think it was Fox Sports because, of course, Disney already owned ESPN. So right. the antitrust guy says you, you got to get rid of these RSNs. And there was Sinclair Broadcast Group, owner of hundreds of local news stations. Um, we, we won't talk about how they run those stations, but they, for some reason in 2019, saw an opportunity in this and paid north of $8 billion for the regional sports networks. Um, in those regional sports networks were uh, were 14 networks that carried Major League Baseball. 
And Major League Baseball is of outsized importance to the regional sports networks. And by regional sports networks, just to be clear, we're talking about, um, you know, Yes Network is one of them. And the and DSG owns a minority interest in Yes Network, but obviously it's not a debtor. Um, Fox Sports Arizona, which or uh, I'm sorry, um, used to be called Fox Sports Arizona, Diamond Arizona. Um, they they are. The, the local network on your cable bundle that shows the basketball, hockey, and baseball games during the regular season that are not on the national broadcasts. So this was the dominant sports broadcasting medium from the end of the UHF era when I was a kid watching games on Channel 33 in Miami. Shout out WBSF. Those games got bought by the Sunshine Network, Sports Channel Florida. Those are the RSNs. So Sinclair thought it was a good idea in 2019 to buy these RSNs for billions and billions of dollars. And they borrowed the billions and billions of dollars. And of course, those billions and billions of dollars in debt were loaded onto the company that owned the RSNs, and that's Diamond Sports Group. So those are the debtors. There's a few RSNs that are not in the bankruptcies, the Cincinnati Reds, Marquee Sports, which is a joint venture with the Cubs. Again, they own an interest in the Yes Network. But largely, we're talking about 14 regional sports networks that carry baseball games, basketball games, and hockey games. And baseball is hugely important to them because, of course, there are so many baseball games. And they play at a time of year when there's no other sports. So, you know, hockey and basketball kind of run concurrently. They have 80 games a year. You know, some of those will be stolen away by national television. Um, so they, they won't have this huge bulk of content that they can spread out. They basically have, you know, 60 or 70 games over a specified period. The hockey and the basketball kind of duplicate each other. It's baseball that drives these networks because they have 160 games. So assuming a few of those get stolen away by national television, um, you're talking about 150 games or so. And it's 150 nights out of 365 nights or days that the channel has content. Course, that's a, that's a lot of car, content that, other than games. That's a lot of car dealership ads. Yeah, incredible. I mean, don't don't get me started on the Yes Network, the terrible ads on the Yes Network. I, I don't quite get it. But so these are a huge part of the content that they purchase. And it's good to think of Diamond as a retailer or a middleman that purchases games from these teams um, under generally pretty long-term telecast rights agreements, and then sells them, and this is where they make most of their money, not on the car dealership ads um, or, or all the other uh, the very strange garbage ads they run. They make most of their money selling those games. Well, they produce them, and then they sell them to cable and satellite distributors, what they call linear television, right? These are you know your cable company, Comcast, um, optimum, whatever you have that delivers cable, and also what they call virtual uh, distributors. And that is DirecTV streaming, YouTube TV, the sort of phony or pseudo cable company um, things that you can get if you cut the, cut the cord. I have DirecTV streaming because they carry the Yes Network, although I don't need it anymore. And there's a, we'll get to that in a second. And is that is that what we call OTT? Well, it, or is that is something it? else over the <laughs> I top? Think of, I think there are a lot of acronyms in this business and a lot of phrases like over the top, but right. OTT. I'm trying to avoid using those. Okay. You have linear television, cable and satellite companies, and that's where most of the of Diamond's revenue comes from. Carriage fees. The the distributors pay Diamond to carry those games so that the local subscribers who want to see the games will subscribe to their cable service. Um, they also, of course, by getting on those distributors, it distributes their advertising, the advertising they sell during the game. So the advertising is part of it. But of course, that also is dependent on the distributors, because if no one can watch the games, no one's going to pay for advertising on the channel. And the, the, what this all comes down to is what you said about over the top DTC, direct to consumer streaming in the last 10 years or so, as as even us old guys know, a lot of people have abandoned cable because you can just stream video and content 
over your internet connection without this bundled service of direct TV streaming or that kind of thing, or without your cable or direct TV satellite or any of those services. Sports was one of the last areas to get into that um, because the distributors were very insistent on not letting those streaming rights get out and get away. Now, Major League Baseball, and, and this is important, was way ahead of everybody on that. I had MLB.TV streaming. You could stream every single game, pick the local and out-of-town channel you wanted to watch. I had that, you know, 10, I think they started it 15 years ago, and it was already then a pretty well-developed product, and MLB has since spun that out as a company called MLB Advanced Networks. But the point was sports were one of the, were, were the fingernails by which, the cable companies and the satellite companies, the linear broadcasters were retaining subscribers. People were not going direct to streaming because they had to get either the cable bundle, the satellite bundle, or the virtual bundle over the last few years in order to watch their favorite team locally. By 2019, though, when this deal happened and Diamond acquired these RSNs, that was already um, starting to disappear. Teams were starting and leagues were starting to get aggressive about marketing direct to consumer streaming rights. And that has only accelerated and it has absolutely decimated the RSN business and diamonds, the biggest of the RSNs. It's not just diamond though. The, the Warner brothers sports channel in Houston is negotiating a surrender of the Astros and rockets broadcasting rights, mm -hmm. Colorado. They've basically just abandoned them. They've said it's not worth us broadcasting anymore because the viewership numbers and the subscriber numbers for the linear broadcasting systems are just collapsing in the face of cord cutting and never recording or never plugging. There's the different terms for people who've just never had cable. Like my, my daughter is 22 years old, never had cable in her life. This, this is the environment that they bought into where the distributors knowing they're losing a ton of money are just, they're just not going to pay for channels, even very valuable sports channels. And the leagues and the teams, meanwhile, are trying to get their direct-to-streaming setup done. And it's happening all over the place just this year. And I mentioned the Yes Network and the reason I have to buy DirecTV streaming. Yes launched its direct-to-consumer product. So they have an app. You can download the app. You pay 20 bucks or 20 bucks a month or something like that. It's not. It's a lot cheaper than the DirecTV streaming bundle I have. And you can watch Yankees games directly on their app on your screen, even if you live in New York and you're, you're gold and that's the future. So Bally's what, what they wanted to, what Diamond wanted to do with the Bally's networks is set up the Bally's app with these 14 baseball teams whose rights they own. And we'll get into what rights they own exactly, um, whose rights they own and be able to stream the games of 14 different teams in the same way. Yes. Does just the Yankees. So if you're a, Rock, if you rock is a bad example, if you're a Diamondbacks fan or a Rangers fan, to name two of the troublesome teams here that are being held up as examples, um, you could just get the Bally's app. And not only could you watch the Diamondbacks or the Rangers, you could watch any of the other games that were also on the Bally Sports app and get those games and have a sort of half of MLB.tv. But unlike MLB, you can watch your local game. And that problem with MLB gets to the other side of this whole fight, which is that baseball, again, has been very aggressive from the beginning with streaming. They seem to recognize a lot earlier than these other sports leagues that direct-to-consumer streaming was going to be the way to go. But to do MLB TV without blackouts, so people in New York can watch the Mets and the Yankees, they need to control those DTC streaming rights not the teams. So you have a clash. You have the broadcasters who are trying to save their business by transforming it into a multi-team DTC product. And you have the league, the leagues and, and the league, the Major League Baseball in particular, who's the main antagonist in this case. Um, you have them fighting to get the DTC rights back in one place. So MLB.tv can have all of the games for everybody and everybody can watch their team and every other team. And it's a sort of NFL Sunday ticket kind of thing. We can watch whatever game you want, even if it's the local game. So 
they've been negotiating over this and trying to work out a resolution for years. Back in 2021, um, or back in a little earlier than that, Major League Baseball made a decision. It's not quite clear how they did this. There's a lot of lot we don't know. We don't have the telecast rights agreements. Um, we don't have all the agreements that MLB has with all the franchises. But MLB at some point took back all of the teams broadcasting direct to consumer streaming rights and basically said, we're going to control these until such time as streaming becomes equivalent to linear broadcasting. So basically they, they said, baseball teams, you give us our streaming rights. We will give them back to you when you can show that you can get as much money from streaming as you can get from broadcasting. Basically the fair market value of your streaming rights. Okay, so baseball controlled these rights. Diamond had 14 teams, so it had 14 teams rights who it wanted. All of the agreements Diamond claims with the teams give it the direct to consumer broadcasting rights. And they all say to the extent the team can sell them to us, we have the DTC rights. The problem with that is Major League Baseball effectively has a veto because it controls those streaming rights over the teams conveying those rights to Diamond. So in other words, Major League Baseball, even if the teams have a contract with Diamond that says you have our DTC rights, Major League Baseball has, says, has said, well, Diamond, you don't have those rights because the teams don't have them. We are holding them and we are not going to release them. So of these 14 teams, five of them, um, Major League Baseball allowed their DTC rights to go over to Diamond. So they can be on the Valley's networks now, the five teams. Um, I think the last one, the Devil Rays, Major League Baseball didn't approve. I think this was October, fall of 2021. Major League Baseball didn't approve, but they didn't disapprove. So Diamond has five of the 14 teams at once for this, for this DTC project. The other nine, Major League Baseball said, no, we will not let these teams hand their streaming rights over to you. Um, and they've been over since that happened in, I think, December 2021 or so, they have been trying to negotiate a turnover of those DTC rights. And you can see the problem. Diamond wants those rights so it can show 14 games at a time on Bally's. Major League Baseball wants those rights so it can show, well, it can show all 32 teams or 30 teams games. I'm waiting for the new expansion for the Nashville whatever's. Um, it, so we can show all 32 teams games on MLB.tv. And that's a pretty big bridge to build over. Diamond has reached deals with the NBA and the NHL, at least through the end of this year. Um, and that the reason for that is the NBA and NHL are not as dependent on local broadcasting, right? They have the TNT contract in the NBA, uh, ESPN contracts. Right. ESPN has a deal with NHL and I think ABC runs some of those games. So they're less dependent on these rights. And so they're more willing to sign away the direct streaming rights. Um, as a Miami Heat fan, those streaming rights aren't as, I mean, the Heat seem like they're on national television twice a week. So it's not a big deal. Knicks fans, not a big deal. So you can see why they're not, not playing as tough a game as the Major League Baseball side is. And baseball has basically said, no, you know, we're not going to give you these nine teams ever. We don't think you're a good organization. We don't think you can continue broadcasting our games. You're, you can't pay your bills. You have $8 billion in debt you can't handle. And we're not going to trust you with our intellectual property rights. We're just going to sit back and uh, let you try and reject these agreements in bankruptcy. And that this is where we get into the bankruptcy, right? MLB, the came into the bankruptcy very aggressively and on the at the first day hearing diamond admitted there is a, the the remaining nine mlb teams are key they do not have a viable streaming sort of near nationwide baseball uh, streaming product or or any kind of rsn streaming product without getting all 14 teams um i maybe they can get 13 but they've made it pretty clear and this is where it gets back to what I was talking about, about unsecured creditors and their authority. This is the first case in a long time where the company filed for bankruptcy and the funded debt creditors all agree. There's an RSA. There is a general agreement on what a plan will look like. 
the first senior lenders are going to be unimpaired. The second lean guys who injected some money in the last couple of years to keep the company alive, they're going to get the equity. They've got a lovely deal. But for once, it doesn't matter because of what Major League Baseball and the teams as unsecured administrative creditors are pushing for. And this all goes to what I just mentioned, the viability question. The streaming, the, the linear broadcasting side of Diamond brings in money, but it's a decreasing amount of money every year. It's not something you can build a future business on. That's what Warner Brothers realized when they handed over their RSN rights. It's not a business for the future, and it's never going to be able to service $8 billion in debt. The direct-to-consumer stuff, the DTC, is a business for the future, but it has to be of a certain size. You can't just have five teams and just locally stream ballot. You can't just have a local Bally's Arizona streaming channel, stream the Diamondbacks, stream the NBA and NHL teams and have that pay off that debt either and have that be a, a big potential business, a big national broadcasting concern. You need a lot of teams. And so the debtors and all of their funded debt creditors, all the guys who agreed to this RSA are prisoners right now of MLB's refusal to hand over enough streaming rights for this company to have a viable post-emergence future. Whatever the funded debt creditors have agreed to, their deal on writing off $8 billion in debt is lovely, but the fine print is the, the restructuring support agreement is expressly conditional on delivery of a business plan by August. And that presumably means a viable business plan that's got to include a lot of these or all of these major league baseball teams. Uh, plus an agreement is even explicitly said in their agreement with the leagues. So it's all, a, it's all a phantom. The RSA is nice, but it means nothing until they can get these streaming rights from MLB. MLB is the rare unsecured creditor here because of the 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 uniqueness of the prop the property that they're selling to the debtors to then sell to distributors and now to consumers that they have an, a, an amount of leverage that's almost unheard of for, does, for unsecured creditors in a bankruptcy case nowadays does mlb have any incentive to make a deal i mean other than some you know a trillion dollars which is not coming anytime soon right well that's that's a good question <laughs> the debtors Diamond doesn't have a lot of leverage over MLB, right? Because what can they do when you file for bankruptcy? Obviously, we get into executory contracts. And the, I don't think anybody disagrees that the telecast rights agreements are executory contracts. They're ongoing intellectual property licenses, basically, where the intellectual property is the baseball games. And the debtors, you know, many of them run out many years in the future and the debtors are obligated to keep paying. So their choice in a bankruptcy case is to either reject those contracts or assume them. You generally debtors will reject contracts when they are uh, above or below market or below market from the debtor's perspective. So in this case, if this were a typical case, you would say, well, we're paying too much for the guardians. We're paying too much for the Twins. We're paying too much for the Diamondbacks. We're paying too much for the Rangers. Reject those contracts. Get rid of them. Move, assume the other ones where we say, well, we're, we're paying a fair market amount, a reasonable value. Move on with those. You've downsized the business. You've eliminated burdensome contracts. It's just like a retailer getting rid of leases. That lease I have at the mall over here is you know, too much for its sales. I'm going to reject that one. I'm going to assume that one. And usually this gives you leverage because rejection is very bad. It leaves the counterparty with an unsecured claim. So it gives you leverage to renegotiate the agreements, right? So in this case, of course, that leverage is not there. Everybody knows they need all the teams. And so they're in a position of having to, you know, it's, it's like a, a debtor with, um, four agreements, I, the, as I think Major League Baseball, Jim Bromley put it, Major League Baseball's counsel said, you know, if you're in the business of making cornmeal, you got to pay the, the guys who make the corn. And we're the only guys who make this corn. You can't go buy baseball games from somebody else. So they have very little leverage. Their leverage is to not pay during bankruptcy. 
right? So as you know, you also know, you don't have to pay amounts due under an executory contract in bankruptcy generally during the case while you're thinking about assume or, assuming or rejecting. And you don't have to assume a reject until confirmation. So you have a long time during the case to just sit there, use the intellectual property of baseball, or to use the lease example, use the store, right? And this came up in all the COVID cases, 24-hour fitness, all that. These companies, these retailers were continuing to use stores, not paying rent. Well, that happens in bankruptcy. You don't have to do anything until you either assume or reject, and that doesn't have to have, have to happen until confirmation. So theoretically, Diamond could sit around in bankruptcy for three years, not paying any rights fees, and let these baseball teams whose money under these contracts is a, a big source of income for them, probably the largest. It's not a, a majority, but it's a plurality of their income for paying player salaries and then paying out operational expenses. Theoretically, they could just starve them to death, continue broadcasting games, continue um, not paying until finally they just give up. And that's often what happens in bankruptcy cases with administrative creditors, mm-hmm. right? You have uh, some vendor who sold, who delivered three truckloads of goods to Sears is owed 50 grand and they're entitled to get that 50 grand at the end of the case. But now, you know, the retailer calls him and says, well, yeah, you, you can get paid in full 100% 50 grand at the end of this case, or you can get 30 grand now and pay your employees. But again, you're talking about Major League Baseball. What baseball's done is they have set up their own broadcasting uh, division. A lot of former Diamond executives and employees work there. And they've said, we are ready. The the good fans of America are not going to miss a single game because these guys aren't paying. The minute they reject these contracts, we'll be ready to broadcast. The next day, we'll have trucks in there. We'll have announcers. We'll have everything ready. We've talked to the distributors, the linear guys, because they're still important enough because old people still love baseball. And I'm gonna, I consider myself in that group. Um, they've basically said, not paying us? Okay, we'll just wait you out. And your bankruptcy is going to fail. And we will support these teams. Now, we again, we don't know what that support is. That, that's what I was going to ask. What is the... What is the so baseball, like you said, like you said, has every incentive for these basically rights to revert back to 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 them, uh, to the MLB, and you know bankruptcy, like the the code doesn't allow you to sit in bankruptcy forever. I don't know that Major League Baseball is going to file its own competing plan. That would be amazing if they did. Yeah, well, no, um, yeah, I, mean, I thought they might offer a dip. That would have been the real, been interesting, real yeah. baller move. But what they did was the more conservative thing, which is the minute. A team, the debtors missed a couple post-petition payments to teams, and they're basically they pay out monthly during the year. The minute they missed a couple payments, they found a motion to compel payment, saying we have an administrative expense, we are entitled to get paid. You are using our intellectual property, and they also alternatively asked that if you're not going to force them to pay us during the bankruptcy case, force them to assume or reject on an accelerated basis because. We're, you know, we're not going to, we can't have these teams not getting paid. We can't have the glorious ball games of the Cleveland Guardians out there in the public domain without the Guardians getting their money. Um, So they've made this argument that there would be irreparable harm if they're not paid immediately. Like I said, general bankruptcy, they don't have to pay administrative claims during the case, right? But administrative creditors can demand it. And if the circumstances are right, then they can get payment or the judge will say, I'm going to set a deadline for assumption or rejection that is earlier than the confirmation date. The problem baseball has in this argument is they're saying, if you don't pay us, you know, this money goes toward payroll, these poor teams, they don't get their money. And meanwhile, they're saying out the other side of their mouth, we're ready to go broadcasting without these guys. We're not going to let a single game get missed. We're not going to have any interruptions in operation. So it's a little... There's inconsistency and a bit of uh, of incongruity there, but that's the game they're playing. So has the judge bought this administrative claim argument? Surprisingly, they have. he has not bought the debtor's argument entirely. 
So again, just to, to sort of really briefly recap, you got a company that says we need to go file for bankruptcy to deal with our funded debt, but to do that, to have a company worth our creditors wanting us to hand it over, we have to have this um, 14 team DTC uh, streaming product that will be big enough and viable enough to make money. And you have Major League Baseball on the other side saying, we don't want you to have that product. We want our own 30 team streaming product and we want to get rid of RSNs forever. And the debtors say to themselves, well, how do we keep them from, uh, from how do we exert leverage using bankruptcy to get Major League Baseball to bend on that, you don't pay them for a while. And like I said, generally, you don't have to pay your debts, even to administrative creditors during the bankruptcy while thinking of assuming or rejecting their contracts. So baseball, knowing that the debtors probably intended to just sort of drag it on and try to starve these teams out, and they're, they're paying, to be clear, they've paid most of the teams. There's four teams involved right now that are sort of the sample case. Baseball filed this motion saying, you gotta pay us, you're a sports broadcasting company. We're the sports. It's kind of essential that you pay us and you have to pay us what you're owed under the contract. The debtor's response to that was, well, no, we shouldn't have to pay you. Lots of debtors don't pay administrative expenses as they go on. We have until the end of the case to assume or reject your contract. If we assume, we'll pay all the contractual amounts that we missed during the bankruptcy because we have to do that. If we reject, you'll have an unsecured claim and you can have your broadcasting rights back. Um, and the other argument they made was, well, we don't, even if we do have to pay you guys, we only have to pay you the reasonable value of what you are selling us. And this is based in the bankruptcy code. The bankruptcy code says that an administrative expense, so you provide, you sell something to the debtor after the bankruptcy case. I sell you a Ferrari um, for $3 million the day after the petition date on credit because I'm a dummy. You have the Ferrari, you say, ha ha, you have a $3 million uh, claim for that Ferrari. I can say, well, it's a it's an administrative expense. It's post-petition. You run a Ferrari dealership, so it's, a, it's providing benefit to the estate because you can sell it. You can say, eh, okay, right, maybe you're right there, but you have to wait till the end of the case, and I don't have to pay you until then because you have an administrative claim, but that's when they have to get paid. Or you can also say, and this is what Diamond did with that second argument, that reasonable value argument, I don't owe you $3 million. I owe you what the Ferrari is worth. That's the measure of your administrative expense claim. To put it in the sort of executory contract, if you have a retailer has a lease with a mall that says they pay a million dollars a month for this space at the mall, they want to keep using it post-petition, the landlord says, no, you can't keep using my property post-petition without paying. The debtor says, it happens all the time. Tough luck. You got to wait till we assume a reject. And anyway, we're not making any money off that location. So the administrative expense that we would have to pay is not the, the rent you're entitled to under the lease, the million dollars a month. It's what it's worth to us. And that's $10,000 a month. So they've made that argument with these four teams. Again, the four teams are the Rangers, Diamondbacks, Twins, and Guardians. Um, those are the teams that haven't been paid post-petition. So those are the test cases. Um, so what they've said is those contracts are above market. We're paying too much to the Guardians. Their rights aren't worth that much. We're not making as much money from the distributors. To the extent we have to pay them anything, we have to pay them the reasonable value of their rights, which is much lower than that contract amount. So basically, if we can't starve these teams out completely into settling with, with us on the DTC um, streaming side, at the very least, we can half starve them. We can just pay them reasonably equivalent value. And at the same time, we get a finding that we're paying way too much for these rights, which they've hinted might require that finding might require MLB to forfeit its veto. And again, we don't have the, the specific terms of the contracts, but there's the parties keep dancing around this idea that Major League Baseball's veto power over these DTC rights is limited to the extent. And it goes to that nebulous when you get paid as much from this as you can get paid from broadcasting. Um, if it's worth less than what the teams are paying, the 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 diamond less to the to diamond than what they were paying the teams 
than Diamond has suggested, that means MLB can't veto it anymore. Like Once that would sing over market, we get the DTC rights and MLB can no longer be a roadblock. So that hasn't been sort huh. of all these contracts are confidential, all these pleadings are redacted, but that's what the debtors want. So they they went into a hearing um, or in April that the judge treated as a status conference. He said, what is going on here? Baseball wants to get paid in full starting today. You guys just want to give them the reasonable value. Don't I need to have an evidentiary hearing on this? Doesn't there need to be discovery? And everybody sort of agreed, yeah, you know, we can't do it right away. The debtors want to do May 3rd. Baseball wanted to do it, do it later and start getting paid in the interim. Baseball said, okay, we'll do a hearing in June and you pay us the full contractual amount until then. And then if the judge says the value is lower, we'll cough it back up to you. We're baseball. We're good for it. The debtors said, eh, we're not so sure you're good for it. Two Major League Baseball teams have filed for Chapter 11 in the last 15 years, including the Rangers, um, as counsel for the debtors pointed out. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't have to pay more, pay these contractual rates until you prove that that those are market. So it's a sort of burden of proof fight. The judge, and this is Judge Christopher Lopez in Houston, and this is a sort of other fascinating thing going on here. The debtors filed in Houston because that's where debtors file when they need a favor. Um, if you've got a pre-packed case, you can get out in 30 days, file in Delaware like an amateur. But if you get, you have an issue like this that comes down to debtors versus creditors over the future of the reorganization, then you go to Houston and, and those judges, there's a reason those cases get filed there overwhelmingly over and over. They tend to be favorable to the debtors on these kind of calls. So the problem is the the two judges in Houston who used to handle all the complex cases, Judge Jones, David Jones, and Judge Isger, they were this complex panel. So if you filed in Houston, you knew you would get one of those two. You knew what you were getting. Judge Isger quit the complex panel, and now Judge Lopez is on the complex panel. And Judge Lopez is less of a known quantity. He hasn't been handling Chapter 11 cases and, and finding for the debtors for the last three or four years and building this up as a big case jurisdiction. My hunch was he's still in the building in Houston. He's not going to force them to pay anything to MLB. And he's going to be as give the debtors as much space as possible while paying the least amount possible to try to force MLB into a deal and get the reorganization done. I was absolutely wrong about that. Judge Lopez sort of out of nowhere said, you're going to have to pay Major League Baseball something. We're going to hold an evidentiary hearing in May on this. In the meantime, you're going to have to pay them something. Doesn't have to be what the contract says. I'm not going to make you pay that yet, but I'm going to make you pay them some amount. And he basically told the parties, go out in the hallway and agree on a percentage of the contract. And if you can't agree, I'm just going to pick a number out of thin air. And that'll be the amount you have to pay until you we have this big hearing on the reasonable value of the broadcasting rights for these four teams. And the parties couldn't agree on it because they can't agree on anything. I mean, the rhetoric is getting incredibly heated, even though both sides have a fairly decent point. The debtors are right. Bankruptcy debtors don't have to pay all their bills during bankruptcy. That's the point. <laughs> they don't have to do that so they can have this breathing spell and they can get things done and take their time and assumption or rejection. Baseball also has a perfectly rational point, which is we're providing the games. We're your whole business and you're you're not paying us for it. You're getting fr a free ride and it's not the same as a lease. It's these are baseball games. And yet they both seem they just can't stop attacking each other as charlatans and infidels. But the judge eventually says, OK, I'm going to force you the debtors to pay 50 percent to these four teams. So it's yeah, so it's it's a it's it was very surprising to me that that happened because I'd seen through COVID how many times um how many times bankruptcy judges in Houston and Delaware and everywhere were willing to let these companies keep running stores without paying rent. And over the last again 20 years, how many times I've seen judges sort of sort of say, yeah, administrative creditor, you're entitled to full payment at the end of the case. Get away, we'll get there. You know, administrative creditors would say, well, wait a second, other, and baseball said this, other administrative creditors are getting paid. The lawyers, they have the same priority as baseball, right? The lawyers for the debtor, they don't have any 
higher priority to payment from the estate, but they're getting paid every month and we're getting nothing. And yet time and again, that sentiment has been completely disregarded and administrative creditors have been forced to wait till the end of the case. That delay in payment ends up coercing them into accepting less than 100% of what they're entitled to, which is 100% under section 1129A9 of the code. And it is a cudgel for debtors to renegotiate these contracts. And in this case, the, the debtors have two problems. One is that MLB is clearly not going to let these teams get starved out. Mm -hmm. um, they are, they have a lot of muscle, they have a lot of money, and they also have made it clear they're not going to let any games go on broadcast and that they're willing to just fight all the way to the end and never surrender. And the other problem they have is they found a judge who maybe he's an Astros fan. The Astros aren't on a Valley's channel, so that's not entirely relevant. But he has decided, in effect, that these MLB's administrative claims are better than the administrative claims of a landlord, a post-petition vendor, a post-petition software supplier, all the other administrative creditors that get railroad. He's bought the idea and he didn't really explain why, but he's clearly bought the idea that there is something about what Major League Baseball is as a contractor with the debtors that entitles them to some level of payment and some level of consideration even before they've shown the value. So it, it's it's not a good position for the debtors. If they have to even keep paying 50% of these rights for some of these teams, um, they lose a lot of leverage with the clubs. And that is the only leverage they have, because, again, baseball can just wait them out and force them to assume or reject. Um, and the only other alternative is Diamond bringing some kind of suit over the DTC rights. And that might be the next move after this, some kind of suit to say that that the Major League Baseball's blocking of the transfer of the rights in these agreements is unlawful. Um, we'll see. I mean, the, the logical next step for baseball is what you said, propose a plan, propose a plan and buy the company from the secured creditors. And, you know, fair and square, they go away, you get your rights and walk away. And, and baseball's not, I wouldn't put it past them. They were a dip lender, a competing dip lender in the Dodgers case, because they hated the then owner of the, the team so much, Frank McCord, who had to file bankruptcy because of his divorce settlement. They hated him so much. He had a dip. Baseball came in and bid against it, took the dip, took control of the case and made sure that Guggenheim got the Dodgers and that the Dodgers got the broadcasting partner that Major League Baseball wanted them to have. The same ones who are not on any cable distributor in, in Los Angeles. And you made you made the point that that the RSA requires the business plan to come in at some point. And it's hard to argue that these rights aren't worth all that much when the business plan is going to depend Right. On these rights right, well, being that, worth something. The other issue, the, the leverage the debtors have to starve MLB out, the typical debtor playbook with administrative creditors, they have a limit on that because the funded debt guys have said the RSA under the RSA, you need to have a viable business plan right. by August. And I assume by that they mean one that has some support and isn't, hey, if we convince Major League Baseball to put down the gun and shake hands with us six months from now, then this is the business plan. They need to have a real plan by August. So they have time pressures themselves um, from the secured lenders. So they don't have all the time in the world. They can't keep this going for two or three years and try to starve MLB out. So the debtors are in a tough spot. You know, they, they went to Houston, maybe hoping that some judicial friendliness would get them over some of these issues. And it, it, it hasn't been evident yet. We'll see what happens at the evidentiary hearing. I think it's May 31st. Judges said he will rule at the hearing as to what the reasonable, reasonable value of these broadcast rights is. That will set the amount that the debtors will have to pay those four teams. The debtors could stop paying the other nine. <laughs> those four teams, they could stop paying the other 11 teams. There's some complexities in there. The Reds haven't been paid, but their RSNs not in bankruptcy. Once they get the ruling with those teams that reasonably cool in value is all they have to pay, they can stop paying the other teams and then trigger that with all 14 teams. 
and see exactly what they're going to have to pay to try and wait MLB out. But my guess is MLB, I mean, it's if they get 50%, they're going to be able to wait them out for a lot longer than the secured creditors can wait out the debtors to have a viable business plan. So, so I mean, so right now we're in episode unsecured creditors fight back. And the <laughs> next one might be a new plan. We'll see what yeah. happens. <laughs> see what happens, right? You know, baseball's view is they can, that, you know, it, if these contracts are below market, um, go ahead and reject them. We get our rights back. So if the, if you're paying the guardians too much, okay, reject the contract. You're out of it. Now the guardians, we have them looped in and, and we have one less blackout problem on MLB.tv. If they're paying below market, then you have to assume it and pay us in whole. Um, and you may not have enough teams to have a viable product. So for baseball, their view is that is a win-win for the debtors. It's uh, it's looking increasingly like a uh, maybe and win. <laughs> um, we'll see. You know what we also don't know, other than again these there's potential litigation out there against Major League Baseball. The debtors have hinted that there's some claims against them for refusing to consent to the transfer of these tra- of these streaming rights. Um, putting that aside, we don't we also don't know what the negotiations are like either among the baseball teams or between baseball and the debtors. We don't know if there's teams that are like, just drop this. You know, we're getting paid enough. It doesn't seem like it. And and Rob Manfred for the, the MLB commissioner seems to talk for a united front. Um, you know, maybe there's not an issue there. Maybe there is. And of course, we don't know if all this invective is the lawyers in court making arguments and then they're this close to a deal. It's just, it's hard to see how this ends other than Major League Baseball getting its rights back. And the question is how much it pays. But that's just what we see in court. You know, there's we'll we'll see uh, we'll see if there's some other. I, I don't think that the second lien lenders and the first lien lenders and the unsecured note holders would have gone to the trouble of getting an RSA together and getting this all bound up, um, subject to the MLB issue, if they didn't think there was a chance the MLB issue could be resolved and that the debtors could keep these rights. So they must hope that there's some chance to satisfy these league and business plan contingencies and get this RSA done because otherwise they'd be wasting their time. All right, well, we'll have to have you back uh, for the next <laughs> chapter, right, Kevin? Yeah, the next hearings on May 10th, I think is a sort of discovery status conference pre-trial, then they do the trial on May 31st. And it'll be, it's gonna be hilarious. It's gonna be a great trial because you're going to have expert economists and broadcasting industry bigwigs on the stand testifying that the the right to broadcast Cleveland Guardians games isn't worth a damn. <laughs> or, or that it's the, the, the Cleveland Guardians are the team of 2023 and they're going to be the biggest the biggest ticket in the major leagues for the next 10 years. You know, it's going to be they're going to be talking about how much each of these teams games is worth how much is a texas rangers game worth yeah no it's it yeah it's uh it's high drama it's super interesting and the broadcast rights to that are probably worth something we'll see maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe we can get a deal with somebody put it, kevin put it on diamond yeah alley's court <laughs> all right kevin thank you so all much right, man have a good weekend For in-court coverage, we take a look at Atlantic Company, Inc., Citadel World Group, and National Center Media, LTL Management, and our Capital Bank. Pharmaceutical company Lanet filed a prepackaged Chapter 11 case on May 2nd to effectuate a restructuring support agreement with holders of more than 80% of senior secured notes and 100% of second lien term loans. The plan would slash approximately $597 million of the debtor's funded debt through a debt for equity swap that would hand 100% of reorganized equity to the RSA parties. It looks to be a short, thri- short trip through Chapter 11. At the first day hearing, the court granted Lanet's request for a plan confirmation hearing on June 8th. Cineworld and National City Media reached an agreement in principle this week resolving the fight over their exhibitor services agreement. The parties will document the settlement in the near term and file motions to approve the deal in their respective bankruptcy cases by the end of June. Separately, Cineworld got the go-ahead for, a key, for key components of a proposed $2.26 billion capital raise under its plan, with Judge Marvin Isger approving a financing commitment and backstop commitment that would allocate 36.2% of pre-dilution new common stock to participating holders of legacy facilities claims. Debtors also report the plan is now supported by 99.2% of lenders. 
The official committee of TAL claimants asked for emergency Third Circuit review of the Johnson & Johnson Texas two-step affiliate second chapter 11 filing in an unusual mandamus petition, arguing that the debtor intends to rush to confirmation of a plan using the votes of supportive claimants holding invalid claims. According to the committee, immediate Third Circuit intervention is also necessary to vindicate the appeals court's earlier decision dismissing the first LTL bankruptcy case for lack of financial distress. In a separate motion, the committee argued that the second bankruptcy should be suspended until the bankruptcy court decides motions dismiss the case filed by top claimants and the U.S. trustee. The Second Circuit heard oral arguments in Bahrain's Islamic Bank's or BISB's appeal in the long-running Sharia turnover litigation with the Official Committee of Unsecured Creditors in the R Capital Bank Chapter 11 cases. BISB is challenging the district court's ruling that Sharia-compliant Murubaha transactions do not qualify as commodity securities, forward or swap contracts under the Bankruptcy Code's automatic stay safe harbor provisions and awarding the UCC prejudgment interest at the New York statutory rate of 9%. Diebold, Securus Technologies, Shutterfly, and NGPL Holdings ran out this week's list of potential restructurings. Diebold said that it continues to negotiate with its banking and lender partners to address short-term and long-term liquidity needs, deleveraging its capital structure and normalizing vendor relationships. The company noted that it expects any resulting deleveraging transaction will substantially or fully dilute shareholder equity. Securus Technologies sponsor Platinum Equity committed $400 million of additional equity financing that the provider of phone and tablet services to correctional facilities will use to help address upcoming debt maturities and reduce leverage. The equity financing comes as Securus parent Aventive Technologies markets $1.1 billion in new first lien debt to refinance existing obligations. Securus has an RCF due August 2024, a first lien term loan due November 2024, and a second lien term loan due 2025. Shutterfly and some of its term lenders are negotiating a debt exchange that would reduce non-participating lenders' claims on assets, including intellectual property. To incentivize participation, the photo products company would potentially agree to tighten debt documents and offer additional collateral to secure the exchange loans. NGPL Holdings, an Arclight portfolio company, launched a $90 million incremental first-link term loan with proceeds slated to fund a distribution. The company is also amending its facility to permit a transition to SOFR from LIBOR. The add-on will be fungible with the existing $400 million Covlite term loan due April 2028. An amendment fee of 25 bits will be paid to consenting lenders. The facility is rated b by Moody's and BA3 by S&P. AMC, Sinclair, Fender Musical Instruments, and GoTo Group reported earnings this week. On AMC's first quarter call, CEO Adam Aaron highlighted strong box office results so far this year, adding that this is just the tip of the iceberg for what's to come in the remainder of the year. He said that for the full year of 2023, he expects industry-wide box office revenues to be up 20% to 30% over year-over-year versus prior estimate of 15% to 25%. When compared to 2019, first quarter average ticket prices were up 22% and food and beverage revenue per patron was up 49%. Sinclair reported on a pro forma basis for its first quarter, excluding Diamond Sports results, $766 million of first quarter media revenue down 6.4% year-over-year, but up 1.9% from the comparable 2021 period. Excluding the impact of DSG, first quarter adjusted EBITDA decreased 40% year-over-year and decreased 32.2% from the comparable 2021 period. Discussing the company's recent internal reorganization, CEO Chris Ripley said that the company was optimistic about their future prospects of the core broadcasting business, but said that continued regulatory uncertainty is causing the company to think differently about the allocation of capital. Fender Musical Instruments, manufacturer of the iconic Stratocaster and Telecaster electric guitars, reported adjusted EBITDA of $19.6 million for the first quarter ended April 2nd, a decline of 42.6% from a year earlier as revenue fell 22.4% to $198.5 million. Results were an improvement over the fourth quarter as the destocking that resulted from the largest customer guitar center's $66 million order cancellation last year is almost complete. GoTo, formerly known as LogMeIn, disclosed first quarter 2023 earnings to lenders on Tuesday, May 2nd, reporting that adjusted EBITDA decreased 18% year-over-year to $101 million on a 4.4% revenue decline to $306 million. Revenue for GoTo's last pass segment was flat sequentially and up 14% year-over-year, while revenue for the company's core business was flat year-over-year. GoTo management's guided to continued mid-single-digit decline in overall revenue for the 2023 fiscal year, noting that LastPass has experienced customer churn in the first quarter that will affect results for the balance of the year. On the regional banking front, we take a look at First Republic, SVB Financial, PacWest, and Congressional Oversight Hearings on the Regional Banking Crisis. 
On Monday, the FDIC announced that J.P. Morgan would acquire the assets of First Republic and assume the regional bank's $92 billion in deposits plus $28.1 billion of FHLB advances. As part of the deal, J.P. Morgan would pay the FDIC $10.6 billion in cash and assume $50 billion in five-year term financing from the FDIC. The FDIC estimates that the cost of the deposit insurance fund will be about $13 billion. An ad hoc group of senior note holders represented by Davis Polk and an ad hoc cross-holder group advised by White and Case filed Rule 2019 statements disclosing their holdings in the SVBFG case. Two groups with a combined 28 members together control more than 80% of bonds and 60% of preferred equity. Separately, the FDIC filed motions asserting its claim to $2 billion of deposits normally held by SVBFG at the bank subsidiary and the debtor's tax refunds. Goldman Sachs also reported that it is cooperating in investigations into its actions in March relating to SVB's IPO. Following reports that PacWest was working with a financial advisor and considering a range of strategic options, including a sale, the bank issued a press release saying its message remains consistent with the information relayed at last week's earnings call and has not experienced an out-of-the-ordinary deposit flows following the sale of First Republic Bank and other news. Court customer deposits have increased since March 31st, according to the bank. The Senate Banking Committee examined the regulatory tools to hold Silicon Valley Bank, Signature, and First Public Bank executives accountable for recent failures. Some senators called for legislation to claw back executive compensation and impose fines. In a report related to Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, the FDIC called for targeted coverage reform of the deposit insurance system that allows for different levels of deposit insurance coverage across different types of accounts, including higher coverage for business payment accounts. Top red stories this week included House Financial Services Agricultural Committees offer competing visions for SEC, CFTC, and regulating cryptocurrency industry. Millikan Conference takeaways. Distress opportunities abound. Darwinian shakeout in PE. Non-rational actions may surprise financial markets. Palace files claims against Finham's decision on Credit Suisse AT1s in Swiss court law. Law firm represents a 1.35 billion group of institutional AT1 investors, $300 million group of retail investors. Aldrich Pump Murray Boiler Fraudulent Transfer Defendants Waive Key No Transfer Defenses in Asbestos Claimant Suit to Unwind Divisional Mergers. And now here's Kate Thomas from New York with the week ahead. Hi, this is Kate Thomas, and here are some highlights of the week ahead. On Monday, the Genesis Global Debtors are scheduled to update the court on the progress of mediation with parent digital currency group, lending partner Gemini Trust, and creditor ad hoc groups representing over $2.4 billion in asserted claims. The debtors sought mediation with these parties in order to finalize the terms of their global settlement in principle, which they reached in February. Under the May 1st mediation order, the parties to the global settlement, as well as the official unsecured creditors committee, agreed to mediate for 30 days and to meet at least twice before Monday's status conference. As outlined in February, the settlement in principle would, among other things, restructure approximately $1.65 billion of DCG's obligations owed to the debtors, including $630 million in obligations that mature starting this Tuesday, May 9th through Thursday, May 11th. On Tuesday, LTL Management's TALC claimants, joined by mesothelioma claimants, will request an order from Judge Michael Kaplan that would allow the repeal of the April 20th preliminary injunction order to go directly to the Third Circuit Court of Appeals rather than the, the, rather than the Intermediate Federal District Court. The preliminary injunction was granted on a, quote, limited basis, unquote, by Judge Kaplan and stays the commencement or continuation of talc litigation against the debtor's parent, Johnson & Johnson, and other non-debtors through June 15th. The claimants say that a direct appeal to the Third Circuit is critical because, very sadly, some claimants are too sick to wait for the appeal process to play out and because the debtor seems to be moving forward quickly in its second bankruptcy case. On Wednesday, the Diamond Sports debtors have a hearing on their emergency motion to void a recent media rights agreement between the NBA's Phoenix Suns and new broadcast partners, Gray Television and Kiswi Mobile. Debtor Diamond Sports Net Arizona has a media rights agreement with the Suns that is set to expire after this season. The debtors say that this agreement with the Suns gives Diamond Arizona a right of first refusal 
and that the sons violated the automatic stay by entering into the new agreement without allowing the debtor to exercise this right. The debtor's cash collateral motion is also on Wednesday's schedule and is subject to objections from Major League Baseball and several teams that take issue with the amount allocated in the cash collateral budget for payment of their disputed telecast rights fees. Last up, Wednesday also brings the National Cinemedia debtor to court for conditional approval of its disclosure statement. The debtor's plan is based on its RSA with holders of its pre-petition secured debt and non-debtor parent National Cinemedia Inc., or NCMI. The plan contemplates a debt-to-equity conversion through which all of the debtor's senior secured debt would receive the reorganized debtor's equity, subject to a reallocation of some reorganized equity to NCMI. Following the appointment of an unsecured creditors committee that triggered the plan's death trap provision, unsecured note holders and general unsecured creditors are lumped together in one class that would recover from a proposed $250,000 claims pool. The debtor is targeting a June 23rd combined confirmation and disclosure statement approval hearing. That's it for the week ahead. Have a great one. Thank you again for tuning in to this REARG Primary Review and our weekly review. Find all our podcasts on the REARG.com webinars and podcast page, as well as Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Amazon. Hope your families are healthy and safe. Have a great weekend and see you next Monday.